Anyway, flip your bulletins back over. We're starting a new series called On the Farm or, or a sermon series on parenting. Somebody say, why are you calling it a farm or why are you using that description? And I'll say, if you don't have kids, you maybe not know. But if you have kids, you know why I'm calling it farm because your house looks like a bunch of wild animals living it if you have kids. Like we could say pigs, you know, because that's if I, I have three boys, if, if I use any description of a farm animal for them, it's typically you guys are filthy pigs. You smell like like pigs, like wash your, yourselves like everywhere, like just do that. You smell like a pig. Sometimes I say, uh, you're a bull. I think that's a farm animal. You're a bull in a china cabinet. Uh, my, my third son, Harris, is 10 months old. I, 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 I call him that. I'm like, you are a bull. Everywhere you go, you break stuff. Like there's been stuff sitting in my house for, for all of Carter's life, all of Lincoln's life. They're seven and five, and he breaks them, and he's 10 months old. And so he's a bull in a china cabinet. I've referred to my kids as roosters because they wake me up at the, the crack of dawn. Anybody else figure out that you should have a lock on your door and wear earplugs when you go to bed. And so anyway, you can use all this, but, but truthfully, that's not why I'm calling it on the farm at all. The, the term farm uh, system actually is a baseball term, and it refers to the minor leagues of, of system of major league teams. And essentially, they got the name farm system because... Uh, some years ago, people started saying they're growing players down on the farm like farmers do corn. In other words, they're growing the next batch of great, of great baseball players on the farm system. And so the point of this series is, is I want to partner with you, encourage you, whether you have teenagers or grown kids or you're just now doing it or you're a single person, I want to show you the importance of us hopefully passing on to our kids first generation faith. Here's kind of what happens to many churches is many churches, they go through what I would call the cycle of of life or the circle of life if you would like the Lion King uh, uh, wording in there, but the circle of life and basically what happens is, is at some point the church is vibrant. At some point, there's people that have given, and there's people that serve, and there's people that have built. If you ever go to a building that's, that's immaculate, whether it's a building from the 1800s in one of, these, one of our cities or, or, or a building that looks like this, at some point, there, there's people that have gotten together that have sacrificed financially and, and sacrificed uh, spiritually and sacrificed emotionally and, 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 and made sacrifices in their time, and they, they decided together that they're going to build something for God's kingdom that's going to reach people. And then so what happens is, so then they start to get older, and they have, they have kids, and their kids kind of come in, and they kind of ride the wave of success. Like, like th- this is a good time in our church, just so you know. We're six years old. I believe today we're six years old as a church where we... We, we planted in Limerick and, and got a building, and then God's done amazing things through Phoenixville, and Plymouth Meeting's going to start, and so we're, we're six years old, actually, today, and, and our kids are kind of riding momentum. I mean, we got a trampoline in our three- to five-year-old class in, in Phoenixville. That's to the glory of, of God. Like, like we, didn't have, we didn't have any chairs five years ago. Now we got enough uh, uh, financial stability to where we can buy a trampoline so that your kids can jump and be a little bit out of energy so that they sleep during the Eagles game for the glory of, of God, and so... Like, we opened two new nurseries. Today, we, we, we started with some new software to upgrade, you know, kind of what, what we're trying to do a, a, as a church and for our kids. And, and we added a mom's room in, 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 in Limerick this summer. And we added a new infant nursery in Limerick. And, and, and stuff is, is nice. Our kids are going to come into this room. Like, they're not ever going to remember the Colonial Theater. Like, I don't know if that's a shame or if that's exciting for them. But they're never going to remember sweating as you, you set up the, 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 the stuff. Like, I, I remember some of your smells very distinctly. 
as, as a pastor. Like, and, I, and it just was a, it was, a, it was a great time for our church. They're never going to remember that. They're just going to see kind of what's going on. And, and hopefully as God keeps blessing our church, they're just going to kind of live in this, this atmosphere of, of excitement, hopefully, and blessings. And then what happens is, is they kind of come up and they become adults and they just assumed this is always the way it is. And if we're not careful, we'll just teach them about kind of what we're giving them, that it's all about them. And, and we're just entertaining them as they're jumping on the trampoline, which is, is not it at, at all. We don't want to entertain your kids. We want to raise your kids to be followers of Christ. And so we're, we're just we're trying to use whatever means necessary to reach them. And so, but they'll become adults and they'll start to think, oh, this is all about me. This is amazing. And, and then all of a sudden they'll start having kids and their kids won't remember anything. And what ends up happening to many churches is many churches you drive by today, they're empty. And they're not empty because they were once never full. They're empty because of the cycle of death that happens in so many churches where churches fail to pass on first generation faith to their kids. Do you know that 70% of kids that turn 18 that will grow up in church walk away from church when they turn 18? That's not, listen, that's not somebody else's church. That's our church. 70% of your kids and my kids. I have three sons. That scares me to death. That we could put all this work in, that we could talk about 4.8 million people, and we could miss the very kids in our church. And seven out of 10, I'm not sure how many kids are in each class, but last service I went around and looked before I preached. There was about 40 kids in our classes here in Phoenixville. That means that, that 30 of them, or 32 or 33, or something right around there, or 28, I'm not sure, I haven't been in college for a long time. They... When they turn 18, they will walk away from church. Some of them return. Some statisticians tell us that 30% will eventually return. But I don't want that prodigal return for them. That's a good testimony for some people. But I want their testimony to be, I never wandered from the gospel. I experienced the gospel from a young age. And my sons and daughters, they prophesied. And they dreamed dreams. And they bought in. And they received Jesus. And they never walked away from their faith. 70%. So for the next few weeks... I want to talk to you about transferring our faith that you have to your kids. You see, here, here's the truth that, that, that I want to get to you today. It, it is your goal for your child is not that you can make a decision for them. I know parents think that. You know, I'll put my kid in VBS and I'll put my, my kid in this and then we'll have a talk and you should probably get baptized because you're going to go to hell if you don't get baptized. And, you know, your little six-year-old Johnny's in there and he's like, this is, this is amazing, this water feels great, I'm getting baptized. And your goal can't be to make a decision for your kid. I know some people think that. Your goal can't be to say, hey, you're going to be a Christian. But, but here's the thing, and, and I know that for myself, I can't tell my kids, hey, you're going to be pastors when you get older. And if you don't like it, you're cut off. Like, this is where we're going. But here, here's my understanding. My goal as a parent is to guide my child in the direction to one day make a decision to follow Jesus. In other words, the Bible says in Psalms 127, children are a heritage from the Lord. One, one Bible says children are a blessing from the Lord. It's the same word. Children are a blessing from the Lord. Offspring are a reward for him. And then listen to what he says. He says, like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. In other words, completely opposite of what the world says. Children are a blessing from God. They're not a choice. It's not okay if you just want to discard them. Children are thought out by the creator, placed in their mother's room for this time on this earth for his glory. They're a reward from God. And then he says, the more you have that, how many of y'all have more than three kids in this place today? Three kids. Put your hands really high. 
little, little, little moment of silence for them right now. You know what I'm saying? The more you have, the Bible says, the better you are. But then he uses this illustration. He says it's like arrows in the quiver of a warrior. In other words, as a warrior, you need to point your kids in the right direction. So the question then becomes, what happens to so many kids? Where's the, where's the breakdown? There's a story in the Bible about a man named, named Joshua at the end of the book that's, that's about his life and, and, and him leading the, the God's chosen people. We did the sermon series, Exodus, if you, if you are into relationships and you're looking for the right person and want to get married. We went kind of through this, this story. We went from the, 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 the slavery to the promised land and kind of tied in the story with relationships. And we learned a lot about about them and about God during that thing. And, and the, the end of Joshua is about the people. They walk around the, the Jericho six times. On the seventh day, they walk around seven times. They scream, walls fall. I talked to you about not stopping on, on the sixth day, but keep going, keep going, keep going. And so we, we talked about, about that. And then at the end of this story, there's a generation that has seen God do miraculous things. And they have this conversation and they say, we need to decide who we're going to serve. So they all say, as for me and, and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And they had this big ceremony where they placed these rocks. And basically Joshua says, let these rocks be a, be a signal to our kids. Let these rocks be a signal to our kids of, of all the great things that God has, has done. You know what's neat? I found this rock today in my, in my downstairs. I call it a study because I want to sound like a, like a prestigious pastor, but it's actually a playroom. In my kids' playroom, but there was this rock that we, in 2013, we went to this pastor's meeting, and one of the things that was like, you, you know, I'm not real artsy, but it was like you go around and do these different stations, and, and you write different prayer requests, and one was sand, and you write your fingers in the sand, you, I skipped that one, you wipe it out, and so, but I took this rock, and, and it was 2013, we were still at the Colonial, and, and, and it wasn't, wasn't really any, I didn't know what was our next step, and all this stuff was kind of happening, and, and the point was, you should write on the rock, Connoisseur with the story, things that, that you're praying for, you want God to do. And on it, I wrote, I wrote very simply. First, I started with my, my family because that's my most important thing. And then on it, I wrote uh, Superior, which is the building that we, we were looking at, and $1 million. And none of that happened. But through that, that thing that we were pursuing, God opened up this door in, in like nine months after this. It was amazing. Then on the one side, it says, it says Neighbors. Because the Bible says to love your neighbors as yourself. And I live in a row home, uh, with, or a row home connected to six other neighbors. So I pray for my neighbors. You know one of the neatest things is, is next week we're going to dedicate one of our neighbor's babies on the stage with a bunch of his. Yeah, that's. I didn't even know this was on there until this morning. I was preaching. My power went out. I kind of freaked out. Preaching to myself downstairs in my study. And the power went out. And I saw this rock and I thought to myself, look what you did, God, over the last year. And I thought to myself, God, I want, I want my kids to see you. I don't want them to see that just for me. I want to transfer this on to them. But I want this to be their life. Like, I want them to see you move. I want them to experience your, your realness. I was talking to my wife about different stories of what God had done in our life since children, about different opportunities we had. to get. We're trying to teach my son, Lincoln, who's not a Christian yet, to tithe. It's hard to teach Christians to tithe. I'm telling you, you got to give three bucks because you got $30 of, 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 of birthday money. Oh! I said, whatever. You need to get saved, right? I want them to see this. And the neat thing is that they can see this guy can do amazing things through their life just like he's done through my life. But the problem is so many of us, we can't even transfer what God's done in our life onto our kids. 
The Bible says in Judges chapter 2, which is only a couple chapters later in the Bible, some years had passed, and the Bible says that the generation of Joshua was dead, and and the next generation was there. And the Bible very clearly says the children that were there had forgotten God. They forgot God. It wasn't like hundreds of years later. The God that parted the Red Sea, the God that brought manna, the God that killed the entire Egyptian army, the most powerful army in the world at that moment, the God that had them march around the wall six days on the seventh day seven times, the God that allowed them to scream and the walls fell down, the God that was with them through everything that brought them to the promised land, the kids forgot. So I need to talk to you about some failures before we ever move on to anything important. The most important thing in your life is to point your kids in the direction to one day make it their own decision to follow Jesus. Let me give you four failures that I see in my own life that I believe maybe will be present in your own life right now. Or if you're not a parent, you're not married yet, that you could write down. Or maybe if you are a parent, you're going to see some kind of uh, failures maybe that you made. And maybe you're going to have a chance. The cool thing is if you have kids that are grown and you're a parent but you don't think that they need you anymore, they still do just so you know. Maybe you're going to have an opportunity to reach out to a kid that you haven't talked to in a while because there's all sorts of hurt feelings and you're going to call them and say, look, I've been, I was in church and God's been doing stuff in my life and I need, to, I need to talk to you. I need to ask your forgiveness. I want to reconcile. I'm not sure what's going to happen. But let me just give you four failures that I see happen in my own life that help my kid, will, 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 will not help my kids get closer to Jesus. Number one is this, is, is we fail as a church to make our faith risky real. Do you know that we live in the most sanitized generation of parenting in the history of America? All you moms, you could, you're probably in your purse somewhere. There's probably a little thing, a hand sanitizer for your kids. Like you probably put it in their bag in case anybody dirty sits beside them in, in school. The more sanitized we are, the more allergies we get. It's crazy. We live in the most sanitized. It got really quiet in here. You're like, you just offended me. Well, get ready to be offended. We just do. We live in the most sanitized thing. Like my kids, they wear more pads to ride a bike than I ever wore in my life combined. Elbow pads, knee pads, helmet, gloves with the fingers cut out. It takes them an hour to get dressed and they play for like two minutes. They are just a sanitized, protected person. We do it because we love them and we want to keep stuff from them. But here's the thing about your kids, just so you know, especially if you have teenagers, you you, you want to keep them from risk. You want to protect them, but you also are raising kids that that, that buy, I think, that God has placed inside of them that are very risky. Like they're, they're so risky, they'll dump ice water on their heads. Like, they're, they're so risky that if I go on Facebook, there's a, something called a, a fire challenge. Have you seen that? Where you're like, you're like, bro, I don't know if you missed that lesson, but fire in your skin, they, they don't go together. Like, they're risky. They're, they're risky. They'll jump out of stuff. My kids, I can see it from the age of seven and five. Like, they'll just do stuff. And, and as they're in the air, they're jumping out off the top bunk, they have no padding. I'm like, what are you doing? They're like, well, we're just going to figure it out when we're in the air before we hit the ground. Like, there's been stuff, Lincoln held the ball in his hand, Carter's going to, as a T, Carter's going to hit the ball out of his hand, right? That's a risk, because he could barely hit the ball in the first place, right? Like, they're, they're willing to risk, and what we've done in our churches is we've made our faith relevant and safe. We've built state-of-the-art youth facilities, we have nice classrooms, 
We teach our kids about chubby bunny. We have safe environments for them. We have all these things that kind of go on. Some of them are important. Background checks, checking your kids. Some of them important. A lot of the other message we send is, is Jesus is really safe, really relevant. Our churches have got relevant. Pastors wear skinny jeans. Shop at H&M. Have lights, haze. Some of you go, that's unbiblical. It's just changing. The church we got has stained glass. I'm not sure why that was ever popular. Just a different way to, to invest your money to try to be relevant to that time. And we've sent this message that we want to be relevant, but the truth is we're not looking to be relevant at the expense of teaching our kids that following Jesus is safe. We're going to protect you. We're going to watch over you. The truth is that one of the first messages that Jesus sent to his disciples, who, by the way, most of them were children. They were young men, teenagers. One of the first messages he took, took them on or brought them with, journeys he took them on, was going to a place called Caesarea Philippi, which was a 32-mile round trip off course to a place where good Jewish people didn't go. I mean, could you imagine Jesus coming to the moms of his disciples? Hey, we're going to go over, we're going to go down to Mardi Gras. It's fine, though. I mean, this was Caesarea Philippi. This, this makes any, any city in our, in our current culture bad. Some teenagers, I'm not telling you, go home, yo, Pastor Steve said I should go to Las Vegas. You just said that. Jesus, not safe. Jesus takes his disciples and they go. And one of the weirdest things or the craziest things about Caesarea Philippi is, is there was a bunch of just demonic, awful stuff going on. That's why Jewish people, good Jewish people didn't go there ever. There was this place where there was this large rock, where there was this opening, where this, this kind of underground water passageway went on. And they used to believe that this God of Baal would kind of transfer it from the underworld to our world in and out of there. And there was all sorts of crazy worship going, going on right there. Sex with animals, sex with prostitutes, just all sorts of, of just nasty stuff. I mean, you take Las Vegas and you put it on steroids and it's not as bad as Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus takes his young teenage male disciples there. I mean, can you imagine Peter's conversation with his mom? Jesus said, we're going. And they get there. And I can sh- I'm sure they're like, what are we doing here? This, 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 this rabbi's crazy. Jesus begins to tell them, the gates of hell are not going to prevail against what we're about to begin. On this rock, and he looks at Peter and he says, on this rock, or in other words, with people like yourself, Peter, I'm going to build my church, and I'm going to invite you into the most risky movement that you could ever dream of. If you want to go back to your fishing boat, go ahead. You see, we make our faith risky, and it becomes real, because if it's real, it's worth risking everything. Somebody say, that sounds really intense. You tell me what's more risky. Putting Jesus first, coming to church every week. Making your teenage kids get up out of the bed because you pay the bills. And if you pay the bills, they come to church with you. Doing all those things because that's the way it is because we're a God first thing. And your kid one day experiencing Jesus and serving him. Or or is it more risky for you to do what most people do and have your kids be success-ish in the world and have some career that has no value towards eternity. And when they get older, they don't know Jesus and they go to hell. 
They were close enough to be safe. But they never went all in for Jesus. And, and when you get to heaven, God goes, you, you sacrifice the future of your kids at the expense of being their friend, at the expense of being cool, at the expense of being relevant, at the expense of not wanting to be risky. See, I want to pass on to my kids a, a faith that's risky. I want them to be part of a church just like last J- December where we came together and you and me together we took out money from our 401ks and we took out money from our savings and then one day we raised $90,000 so we could open up this place and last week 22 people could get saved in one Sunday. I want my kids to be part of a movement like that. I want them to think that's normal. A risky faith. Number two is this. We fail to point our kids towards real success. Do you know your kids have no idea what success is? You determine what success is for their life. The world determines what success is. And for many Christian parents, the message you give your kids is success is a destination. It's a destination. Well-rounded, athletic, well-educated, successful-ish kids. Upstanding American citizens. Good head on their shoulder. Lots of trophies. Little girls be wearing tutus. Little boys kicking a ball. That's success. Success is the destination. It's when you acquire something of this world and your parents go, that's amazing. Look what you did. You have a trophy. That's success. For me, and biblically, I think success is only a decision. Everything else in my kid's life I'm not in control of. I didn't make them. You think you did. You had a little part in it. But all the rest, the foreman, the talents, the gifts, the abilities, you had nothing to do with it. The days that God marked out for them, you can have them eat as much organic stuff as you want, but if their creator says they're done, they're done. God has it all figured out. So your only job as as a parent, truthfully, is to get them to make the decision to follow Jesus, to lead them to that doorstep. So success for me is a decision for my kids to follow Jesus. After that, I'm not sure what's going to happen, but my Bible says that God can do immeasurably more than my kids could ever ask, dream, or imagine with their lives, and I know that, so I'm going to place my kids' future in their creator's hand. I want to get them to make a decision. So what we do in my house right now is, is we only celebrate success that is eternity worthy. Eternity worthy. So what I do is when they do things or they accomplish things or they have success in their life that's valuable in eternity, we celebrate that. So, so what I mean is, so like you, some of you celebrate soccer stuff and some of you celebrate that stuff. And that stuff's important and that stuff's awesome. And if your kids, that, that, that's, that's good stuff. But is it eternal? What we celebrate is one Lincoln who's not saved yet. Who doesn't want to tithe, but for some reason God's beginning to do something in his heart. We walk into to a restaurant and he holds the door for everybody in my family because God's starting to do something in his life. What we celebrate is a couple months ago when Carter, my, my seven-year-old, who's not saved yet, who struggles with selfishness and thinking of himself because he's the first child and we accidentally taught him that because everything that he needed we provided. 
So we're trying to go back and say, look, man, this life's not all about you. You know, we got a baby now and all this stuff. And so, you know, stop. A few months ago, he had a, about $11 in his wallet from his allowance. And he said, I want to buy everybody kiwi yogurt. And I thought, we should celebrate this. So we went in, we got kiwi yogurt, and I loaded my thing up. <laughs> That's eternal value right there. That's God doing something in their life. I believe beginning to work in their life to eventually lead them towards his son, to draw them into relationship with his son, and to do amazing things. He's like, that's success. The other stuff is water under the bridge. The other stuff is okay. The other stuff is important, but only in the concept of relationship with Jesus. Number three is this, as, as we move through these, is, I think it's so important, is we fail to rave in the right direction. What happens is because we, because we have our wrong mind on what success looks like, we also congratulate in the wrong area. We live in a culture where in the 1980s, which is many, when many of you were born, some of you weren't born to 1990 something, but in 1980, which is when I was born, they started this study, and the study was, is kids in America don't have enough self-esteem. So, so for some reason, Everybody thought, everybody, if we just encourage and we just tell them how good they are, we tell them how great they are, we give everybody a trophy, participation trophies, and we, everybody wins, everybody is, is good, nobody has to keep score. Like, I don't know if your kids are in a sport like that, but that's dumb. No, it's not, Pastor, that's self, that's dumb. Nobody keeps score. Everybody's a winner. If you're, you, no matter what, your kid has to play. If your kid doesn't like this jersey, they need to be on this other team to like that jersey. Like everybody, everybody is, is awesome. And what happened is because we've done that, what we've, what we've honestly done to our kids is we've created a whole generation of insecure people because the more that is put on you, the more congratulations you get, the more aware of who you are you get, and the more you start concentrating on if you're better than everybody else, and you actually get insecure. So what we have is we have a whole generation doesn't understand success in the church because their parents don't make their faith, faith risky real. And what happens is instead of the kids accomplishing things and us raving in the right direction, we rave on our kids and we actually make them more insecure. See, my wife taught me a few years ago, anytime that our kids do something great or our kids find success in any kind of sport or anything like that, we need to be careful who we place the praise on. And so what we started doing is my son learned how to ride bike this year. It was a miracle, right? He's riding a bike, and we're on vacation, and he's going, I did it. And everything inside of me wants to run up and be like, you're awesome. You're the most amazing kid ever. Here's a trophy. And I got up to him, and everything inside me wanted to do that. And I remember hearing my wife's voice. You know what I'm talking about, husbands? That's the Holy Spirit inside of you. And I took him off the bike, and I said, this is a really big accomplishment. The Bible says you're the handiwork of God created before the foundations of this world to accomplish good things for his kingdom. In other words, you were created by God for God. Every talent, every gift, all the time that you have has been given to you by God. I didn't say all this because he wouldn't understand it. 
So what I said is get off this bike and let's thank Jesus for the talent and the brain and the two feet and the legs that he's given you to be able to ride this bike and the bounce. And so we prayed right there and we pointed our praise towards heaven. You know what that did? It began to make him more secure in who he is and what God has created him to be. It began to put the praise towards God. And here's what I know. Where you praise is what they crave. In other words, when you begin to praise the presence of God, some of you are saying, how do I get my kid close to Jesus? Is you begin to send every amount of praise, every ounce of, of, of satisfaction, could you send it towards God? God, I thank you for my kids. God, I thank you for what you're giving them. God, I thank you for the talents. I thank you that you created them for you. And lastly, number four, is we fail to show them one directional love. Let me tell you what, what happens at the expense of all this. Because we don't give to them a real faith, which is the only thing your kids need. That's it. I know that sounds really simple. The only thing your kids need in this life is a relationship with Jesus. If they get that right, everything else will fall into place. The Bible says, seek first my kingdom. Jesus said that. And everything else that this world looks for, completeness, wholeness, love, satisfaction, peace, everything else will be added to your life. You don't get me, everything else will be crazy. You'll never be satisfied. You'll never be fulfilled. You get a relationship with me, everything else works out. Seems so, so easy, doesn't it? You get your kids close to you. you. You push them in that direction. You get them close to making the decision to follow Jesus. You teach them that following Jesus is risky. Following him takes everything. You, you begin to celebrate success the right way. Pointing them back to things that are worth eternity, that are valuable in eternity. You begin to praise the right way, which takes all that insecurity, all that worthlessness, and places it on God and saying, you've been created by God. You want to talk about why people are so messed up? Because they believe they're an accident. They believe they accidentally ended up on this earth. Their parents accidentally made them, that nobody was thinking about them, and they've heard it over and over and over again. We have a generation that cuts themselves, that has image problems, that can't stop taking pictures of themselves. You have kids that are raising up that can't stop making fun of each other and bullying and all this stuff. And the simple fact is because kids don't know they were fearfully and wonderfully made. They don't know Jesus. They don't know what success is. And so what ends up happening is ultimately they don't understand love. One directional love. See, what happens in your relationship with your kids when you do all this, you heap all this praise, you tell them how awesome they are, what they start to think is the reason my parents love me is because of me. It's because of me. They love me because of what I do. They love me because of who I am. They love me because of what I accomplish in school. They love me when I'm good. They love me when I'm kind. They love me when I do this. And what you have is a religious love where you have a kid who's constantly working to please the parent. The same thing happens when it comes to your relationship with God. If anything with God is, is about two directions, you have, you have religion. The Bible says that we can never get to God. That God's love is, is for us, but it's never been about us. In other words, it's not about you. Some of you are like, I just wanted to get my life right today, so I came to church. And I sat through this sermon. I just want God to fix me. And God, he's knocking at your heart, and he's saying, I've been thinking about you long before you ever decided that I was your last option. My love has been here for you long before you ever were thinking of me. I love you so much. And his love is one directional. Anytime it gets two directional, anytime you start playing spiritual volleyball with God, you bump it up, he bumps it back, you spike it, point for you guys. 
You miss hit, God takes his net and goes home. That's religion. That's what so many people have. They walk around with, with shame and regret and fear of God and feeling like they let God down. You can't let God down. That means you were holding him up. See, the, the opposite of the type of parenting that you're doing is when you point your kids towards Jesus. When, when you teach your kids that success is a, a decision you make, following Jesus. When you teach your kids that all your praise, everything you have, they might know it if you start doing it. Everything I have, every food that I get, when you pray for your food, this is what happens in my house sometimes. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for food. Amen. No, 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 no. Without God, we wouldn't have this. Everything comes from God. All of a sudden, they begin to understand this love, this love that will never leave them, never forsake them, never give up on them. And you start to show them that love because of who you are. Your love is for them. It's not about them. And all of a sudden, Jesus begins to do amazing things in their life. Trust me, you love your kids. God loves them way more than you. You have a plan for your kids. God's plan's better. It's way better. Your plan's crazy. It's jacked up. comes with baggage. You can't come up with a good plan. You can barely control and wake up and have purpose for your own life. How are you going to do it for your kids? You're not even making your own heartbeat right now. God's plan is good for them. You can trust him. Your job is to point them in the direction to one day make a decision to follow Jesus. Would you stand with me all over this house and on a Limerick campus? Would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes? My hope is that if you're a single person in this place today, a college student, maybe you're far from thinking about parenting, my hope is that you would understand. I remember being an 18-year-old kid in college and not really knowing what I was doing or where I was going, just knowing that God had a plan for my life. And sometimes messages like this are, are what you call directional vision-building messages where you write them at the, the foundation of your heart. You remember what God spoke to you. I believe it will speak to you during this. Maybe you're a parent with, a, with young kids. You're going through this right now. I'm not sure. Maybe you're a single parent. Your job's even harder. My main prayer is you would just feel encouraged. You would just feel strengthened. You would just feel like God is with you. Maybe you're a parent and you've made some of the mistakes that I'm talking about. Welcome to the club. For many of us, it's only simply because we love our kids so much that we have such a hard time trusting our kids with, with their future and putting it in God's hand and Maybe it's simply you going, God, I trust you. God, I trust you with my kids' life. God, they're your handiwork. They're not mine. They're yours. You've entrusted me with them. God, I want to steward their lives. Well, maybe you have teenagers, and you're out of answers. I was a youth pastor. I remember what it was like to be around teenagers. Some of the hardest, but some of the best years of your life. Maybe you're having a hard time leading them to God. Just keep doing the right thing. Keep doing the right thing. Keep doing the right thing. I can't tell you how many times that I didn't care about church and I didn't care about Jesus when I was a kid. I sat in church and I acted like I was ignoring it and I acted like I didn't care and God was still doing something in my life and I was still watching the example of my parents as they loved Jesus and loved his church and it made a difference in my life and at just the right time God called me. So keep going. Maybe you're an older person in this room and your kids are grown and you haven't talked to them in years. And you heard about the one directional love. And you understand your job for your kids is one directional love. That they're not, the way they act, what they say, does not determine the way you love them. Maybe you call them this week and you say, you know what? I failed you. But 
Jesus is doing something in my life. And I'd like to ask for your forgiveness. And I'm going to live the rest of my life, not under the burden of the mistakes that I've made, but I'm going to live the rest of my life because Jesus has changed me and saved me and set me free. You just begin to be that example to your kids. I'm not sure what stage you're at, but I believe the Holy Spirit can do a work in your life right now. And as you're praying, maybe you have no idea about that one direction of love that I was talking to. But I was addressing. I know God is, is holy, righteous, and just. I know who I am in comparison to Him, and I know what I deserve. But the Bible also calls God a father over and over and over again. And as a father of, fr- of three, I've had times in, while, in my life when everything about me was right and just and fair. And my kids were wrong. And I had to discipline them. But something still inside of me as their father, my heart broke for them. Some of you think God is up looking at you, judging you, condemning you holding you away the Bible says God's a father and his love is for you it's not about you he's drawing you close so whether you've been in church for a long time whether you're a freshman in college whether you're an old veteran parent that's made your mistakes or whether you've just wandered in here today by chance I'm not sure the Bible says that God is drawing people to himself where you lift up the name of Jesus God will draw people. Jesus is so good. His love is so real. And he is the way for you to get back to your creator, the one that made you, the one that was thinking about you, the one that formed you in your mother's womb. He's not here for you because you're good, but because his son is so good. And I believe your life is as a result of everything that was said and done to you over the previous years. That you've heard lies, that you've been shamed, maybe you've been abused, maybe you're angry. And I believe your life is, is right at the spot that the devil wanted it to be. That you live in response to what's been done to you, said about you. But the gospel changes that. My Bible says that the way Jesus died should have been the way my life should have ended. Not necessarily on a cross, but the shame and the pain and the isolation But the Bible says when he died, he was placed into a tomb. And on the third day, the Bible says he rose. Not only did he die for my sins on a cross, but what should have been the end for him wasn't. And now he died the death that I should have died and has given me the chance to live the life that I could have never lived. And I only stand here as a result of him, not my education, not my upbringing. But I'm eternally indebted to my Savior, my Lord Jesus Christ. And I've committed the rest of my life to go all in for him to tell people like yourself there's a God that loves you, has a purpose and a plan for you, and he can do more in a moment in this room at a Limerick campus, as Pastor Ty was saying, than what could have been done to you over all the previous years of your life. If you would just trust him. The Bible says if you would confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will believe in your heart that he died on a cross in your place, that he was placed in a tomb, and on the third day he rose from the dead. The Bible says you will be saved. You will be free from your past. Your present will be, will be redeemed, and your future will be secure. If you're in this place with nobody looking around at a Limerick camp, you say, you know what, I don't, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. 
I'm a parent. I don't even think I could pass my faith on because I don't have a relationship with Jesus. God's here, and he's reaching out to you. All you need to do is grab him. Grab him. Grab a hold of him. Jesus, I need you in my life right now. I need you to be my Lord and my Savior. I know you died for my sins. If that's you in this place, with nobody looking around our Limerick campus, maybe you're watching online right now or you're going to be catching up during the week and you just begin to pray. But if you're with me right now so that I know that I'm praying with you so that you can make the bold claim that Jesus is going to be my Lord and my Savior. In this house, in our Limerick campus, you say, Pastor, that's me. You simply just place your hand up high and say, Today, Pastor, I'm asking Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I want to confess him. I see your hand back here. Does anybody else say, Pastor, that's me. At our Limerick campus, just keep your hand up high so that Tyler can see you as we're praying anybody else in this moment I see you over here to my left that's good that's what church is all about anybody else say Jesus come into my life right now I need Jesus to be my Lord and my Savior let's pray Heavenly Father I thank you for this day I thank you for those that have their hands held high right now I thank you for those that are Limerick campus and those watching online Lord Jesus you're real your love transforms us your love saves us your love forgives us Your love redeems us. Your love brings us peace where there was no peace. It brings us hope. It brings us forgiveness and the ability to forgive those and release those that have defined our life up to this point, Lord. I thank you that today, Lord, we're finding salvation. We're finding a new beginning, Lord, that the past is gone, that the future, Lord, is secure in you, Jesus. I thank you that we're a brand new creation, just like Paul said. We're a brand new creation. I'm a brand new man. I'm a brand new woman. My life, my vision, my dreams, they're all placed in your hand. God, I thank you for what you've done in this place, Lord. But as we leave this place, let us leave that, this atmosphere and this environment with the words of that final song. There's nothing but the blood of Jesus. Had it not been for you, Jesus, we wouldn't be in this place. We wouldn't be at this school. We wouldn't have the kids that we've had. We wouldn't have been able to live the life that we live. We wouldn't have the heartbeat in our chest, Lord. Everything from you is a gift. And we thank you that in that understanding, there's purpose and there's meaning. Lord, we pray for our kids, Lord, that are in each of our classes at Journey Church, Lord. That they're not the church of tomorrow, but Lord, they are Journey Church. Just like the scripture says in the last days, our kids will dream dreams. They will have visions. They will prophesy. Lord, I thank you, Father, that you're beginning to do amazing things in our kids' hearts right now. And Lord, us as parents, all we want is we want to push them in the direction to make a decision to follow you. Jesus, we thank you in advance for the great things that you're going to call them to do, Lord, when they place their trust in you. Jesus, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Come on, church. Let's clap together all over this house at our Limerick campus. Thank you so much for being here.